Fly Hockey Periodical Podcast, a weird summer edition. Normally people, when we cover hockey, we don't pay attention to hockey in August, but we're doing that today because we have a special guest. Scott Wheeler of The Athletic is joining us to talk a lot of prospecting, specifically one prospect. Uh, hi, Scott. Thank you for being on. Thanks for having me. Happy to. It is a rarity that I'm thinking about hockey in August. Normally I'm thinking about other sports that are going to annoy me just as much, but <laughs> it is time because... When you cover hockey, you have to find something to fill time in August on The Athletic, and one thing that you've been doing is writing this series called The Gifted, and it's very good, but the reason why you're here is because you've written about Alexi Heponami. We'll get to that, but I want to talk first about just prospect writing in general. I remember hearing right. Myrtle, I can't even remember where it was, but he said that prospect stuff does crazy numbers now, which since I started following hockey about a decade ago, prospects always mattered but it seems like they matter more now because maybe it's just the unvarnished happiness that you could get with prospects that are not battered down by the citizens of the national hockey league yet or maybe it's because the nhl is finally morphing into more of the nba the nfl where the draft is almost everything so what do you think it is that prospect writing and specifically what you do is getting more and more popular Ooh, i think there are a couple of reasons that that sort of contribute to that phenomenon i think the first uh, specifically to the athletic, at least the first is that there, with the mainstream fan, with the average fan that throws on Hockey Night in Canada or what have you, throws on Sportsnet or and NBC in the states and and decides to watch a game on a whim. For those fans, nobody cares about the seventh round pick that your team, your favorite team, selected in 2017. Uh, nobody even cares about the second round pick that they selected until they show up in the NHL roster. The average fan probably isn't all that interested in the draft or in the, the sort of prospect world. But I think what happened and what is happening at The Athletic is that we don't get the average fan in terms of our readership. The people that are willing to pay money to read The Athletic on a monthly or yearly or two-year sort of commitment uh, uh, tend to be the people who, who are already dialed into the X's and O's of their team. They're already sort of – they know the nuances of – how good the Florida Panthers are likely to be or how good Alexander Barkov is. And they don't need that told to them over and over again. So I think they ultimately look for other things and they look to learn about things that they aren't as familiar with. And ultimately, I think that is particularly at The Athletic with Corey and I and, and our work doing so well is that um, the, the grass is always greener on the other side, if you will. People always want to know what's coming next. And I originally started covering prospects and reporting on prospects with a with kind of a Leafs tint because I'm from Toronto and I grew, sort of grew up in this industry covering the Leafs and covering the Marlies. Um, and I always felt like my work was successful for a couple of reasons. I always felt early on like it was successful because during the Randy Carlyle era, when I began writing about the team, the team was terrible on a year-to-year -year basis and people had no choice but to be hopeful about the future and what was coming. But I have quickly learned that 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 isn't necessarily the correlation that teams that are good also want to know for different reasons who's next because they run into cap trouble and they need to insulate their their sort of strong cores with young players. So it never really goes away. If you're a diehard fan, you're going to want to know what's coming and who's around the corner. Um, and there's a knowledge gap there that there isn't with me trying to explain to you how good Alexander Barkov is. So I, I think that is, is ultimately where it all kind of stems from. And it means that there really is no off season for, for prospect coverage either, because 
as soon as the draft's over, you get to spend July telling people about how they did in the draft, and then trades happen at free agency and uh, prospect camps and all of these summer events from the World Junior Summer Showcase to the Holinka Gretzky Cup. It just seems like it's never-ending now, so it just makes for easy coverage as far as I'm concerned. Makes for free money. Well, in the case <laughs> in the case of the Panthers, it's they always are bad, so you have to look to the future because, I mean, they're bad, but not going to focus on that too much. I think it's also because now, I mean, the NHL is so necessary to have good young players on entry-level contracts, far more totally. than it used to be. And so those players could come out of nowhere. Of course, the Y hockey favorite defenseman is a seventh-round pick from 2013, so that gives you kind of an idea of, of where this is, this is gone. Uh, I want to start by getting to The Gifted, and it's a series that's been running the last couple of years, and you've covered a lot of interesting prospects. 2017, Elias Pettersson was written about, Timo Meyer was written about last year, you wrote about Miro Heiskanen, you wrote about some other very good players, and now, this year you have Alexi Hemponiemi in there, and obviously, if you've listened to Y Hockey, you know that Tommy and I love Alexi Hemponiemi. We love Finnish players, mostly, because Finland is amazing. So how do you get to picking the prospects for this series, and what got you to Hemponiemi this year? Ultimately, The Gifted is about the kids who, throughout the year or over the course of several years, I develop some kind of fondness for. These are not my favorite prospects. They're not even the best prospects. They're not the kids who I think project surefire as NHLers. Certainly some of them are. Instead, they're just the kids who I think do something unique and do something different. And we often talk ourselves into a corner in hockey where we say player A and player B are equal and I think we should take player A or I think player A is a better player or prospect because he works harder. And I have never believed those kinds of things. I always think that there is a difference between these players. These players are so dynamic and different. No one player is the same. One player always has to be better or worse than another player. And I think that creates for this interesting dynamic when you can find players who do things in a unique way. So Jordan Cairo, for example, he was uh, one of the players I focused on the very first year I did this in 2017. Jordan Cairo is a kid who built an entire game around skating faster than everybody else. And how do you do that? And how does that player use one skill and sort of build on it and layer on it to create an NHL prospect that is legitimate? And ultimately, how is Jordan Cairo going to use that, that one standout skill, which is his skating, which he's uh, before he ever played a game in the NHL, he was already one of the best skaters in the world. How can he use that to his advantage and how might that also work to his disadvantage? So uh, does he put himself into the corner too often because his feet are moving faster than his brain is? And all of these things are, are fascinating to me. And you can look at a player who just has a really good shot. Owen Tippett, who I'm sure we'll talk about, is a perfect example yep. of a kid who can really sh score goals. But how does that happen? And, and does the way that he scores goals at one level going to translate to another level? So really the gifted is just about my fascination with individual skill sets, with players who are big and small or players who are fast and slow and how they make or don't make that work for them and how they've sort of built the entirety of their game around one skill. And uh, not every player is like that. Sometimes kids are just good at everything and that's enough to make it. But oftentimes there is one skill that drives a player and that they've learned to model their game around. So that's what the, the whole series is about. And that's what led me to a player like Alexi Heponiemi, who is to the truest sense of what the gifted is all about. He's, he's unlike anyone else in hockey. He is truly one of a kind. So I want to talk about that because reading this piece, I mean, we've seen him, I've seen him play a little, but not a lot. I don't have the finish, uh, 
hockey package on some streaming service I've never heard of. I don't have the <laughs> money for that. And nor do I get the WHL unless they're showing it on NHL Network. But Hepuni Emmy when the Panthers took him, obviously over here, we perk up anytime the Panthers take a Finnish player because we know that means somebody who works in the Panthers front office really likes somebody. That would be Yari Kekalein and Yarmo's brother. Probably the second most often name we've mentioned on this podcast, maybe other than Panthers' ownership, is Yari Kekalainen. And, and so when we take him and go, oh, okay, because his track record's really good. He's almost 100% responsible for Barkov, very responsible for Borgstrom. And so that gives us a lot of ideas. And then you see him just completely tear up the WHL. This isn't the cue where you score 100 points. That's an average year. You score a bajillion points. He took Swift Current, I think, to the Memorial Cup. And then last year, he goes back to Finland, and he scores 46 points in 50 games. And he's really, really good. But he's also incredibly small. And you would think, Dale Talon, he's not going to take a player like that, but the NHL's changed so much that everyone now does. And there's some skills in there that you've shown for Hemponiemi's game, and it's going to be very important because he's playing in North America this year, either in Springfield or with the Panthers. And so what about this skill set of his is so fascinating to you? Because when you watch these clips, you go... He does things that you wouldn't otherwise see NHL players do, and he does it because he's really skilled, but also kind of out of necessity because he's not blessed with great size. Yeah, and that's ultimately the thing is people have this aversion. This It's like an allergic reaction to players who play on the perimeter or players who shy away from getting hit. And sometimes that can be a negative for a player, but Hepanyemi what is fascinating about him is that he has turned it into this sort of mastery. He has figured out how can I, as someone who knows that I can't get run over and that if I do get run over that I may get injured, how can I avoid that happening without becoming a sort of perimeter player who, who is afraid of getting hit. And ultimately what I think has happened with him is a few things. The first is he makes, he has mastered making a lot of little tiny, simple plays consistently. So by that, I mean that when he touches the puck or when he receives and corrals the puck in the corner or off the boards, he has figured out ways to to place it exactly where he needs to place it to get it back. And uh, it seems when you're watching him like a very simple thing, it's almost something that goes unnoticed. But you have to think about what an equivalent player would do. And the, the answer often is, is that with a lot of those plays, the equivalent player would under pressure push it too hard off the boards and then it would be out of his reach or out of the teammate that he's intending it to get to his reach and uh, that just never really happens with Hepanyemi. He always seems to sort of have the right amount of weight on his passes and his shots and his puck handling and his sort of sidesteps with his feet and he never really uh, puts himself in dangerous situations and and all the while he's doing that he is still trying to play in the middle of the ice so there are certainly times when his skill set and his skating lends itself to being the kind of player that 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 ought to kind of play on the outside and, and try to make passes from the outside to the inside but there are also certain times when he he just steps around a player or uh, sort of avoids getting hit in a creative way and that opens up the ice for him. So that was really the first thing that has always leaped out at me with Hepanyemi. He's obviously a brilliant skater, and that is a major contributing factor to the fact that he doesn't get hit very often just because he is so quick. Um, but the second thing, and maybe the most important thing for me in Hepanyemi, is his willingness to wait. And, and by that, I mean that Hepanyemi is a player who doesn't take space just because it's there. There are a lot of players who, uh, when there is open ice uh, out there, they, they try to hit it, especially offensively. And that's how you catch a lot of players cheating 
and they get too far ahead of themselves or they take the puck too early into that space and it means that they're right up against players. And Hepanyemi has learned that he just can't afford to do that. He can't afford to, when he gets the puck or when he's skating into space to get the puck, to just push tempo as fast as he can because he knows that he's faster than everyone else and try to burn everybody wide because when he gets up tight against players and, and they're physical on him, he often loses those exchanges. And so what he has learned to do is to sit back and when he receives a pass to, to be slow and to consciously think to himself, I need to slow down my movement here. And the byproduct of that is that other players then back off of him and he gives himself the space that he needs to then use that speed so that when he does hit that space where he's tight against an opponent, he's already got that head of steam rather than running into them too early. Um, and I think that is ultimately just what makes him the player that he is. It allows him to do everything that he does off the rush because he, he's he's not afraid to slow himself down and to skate across the zone instead of into the zone. And all of those skills are, are very hard to learn. And a lot of players, particularly players who are really fast, don't learn them. And, and by that, I mean, think of Dylan Larkin when he first entered the league or Kasperi Kapanen when he first entered the league. These kids just wanted to move as fast as they could and they wanted to create breakaways for themselves. And Hepanyemi could try to play that kind of style, but... I appreciate that he kind of tries to slow the game down a bit so that when he needs to use his speed, he then has the space he needs to really get going. What I, what I think about when I think about when you talk about this kind of aspect of it, when you see players going to space too often, I think of the Panthers' D the last two years when they were always coached to you know pinch up the wall, be really high, and then they get caught out and it leads to breakaways the other way. We've talked about that a thousand times on this podcast, and I'm glad I probably don't have to talk about it again. And when you think about a player that sometimes seems too eager to do some of these things, I think of Vincent Trocek a lot when he plays kind of unhinged. And Heponiemi doesn't play that way. And it kind of works because the Panthers aren't – like they are a faster team than they used to be, but they're not the fastest team in the world. And they've got a lot of creative players who really can hold the puck. And so you think about who he could possibly play with. I think there's a lot of possibilities with that. And for him himself, he did it in the Canadian – he did it in junior. He's now done it in Finland. There's a debate as to whether he's going to make the team or not. There's a lot of back end of the roster things that could happen with the Panthers. I've been trying to think of an NHL comparable for him, and I'm struggling to because he's so unique in terms of his size, not necessarily mm -hmm. the way he plays. What, what do you think that would be? If he, if he makes in the NHL, and I think there's a good chance he could, he's playing on a team now with a, a real coach. We, we make fun of Bob Boogner a lot on this show. It's, it's, it's the lesson we've learned here. Uh, so what player do you think he reminds you most of? And just where does his skill set approximate to on an NHL level? See, that that's a challenge with him because, and you kind of touched on it, but he is so unique. There is, like, frankly, I looked, I looked it up. I went through the data for the last 40 years in the NHL to see, is there any player who's ever played in the NHL and had a good career and been 154 pounds, which is what his weight was listed at last year? And the answer is no. There's been a couple of players who've come and gone. Um, Kaylor Yamamoto, a, a prospect for the Edmonton Oilers, played in the NHL last year and is sort of beginning to get his toes wet and was obviously another dominant WHL uh, forward at, at the exact same height and weight as actually, although I believe he's a, maybe an inch shorter than Hepanyemi, but certainly the same weight. Um, but really, there is no example. I mean, when you think of the small, successful players in the NHL in recent memory, I think of Marty St. Louis, and Marty St. Louis doesn't work because Marty St. Louis was built like a refrigerator. Um, <laughs> it was a battering ram. <laughs> yeah, Theo Fleury was the same way. Um, 
obviously Johnny Goudreau is, is kind of an enigma. So maybe you compare him to Goudreau, but Goudreau, uh, Goudreau was more of is, is, and, and will always be, uh, more of a shooter and, and more of a finisher than Hepanyemi is. Hepanyemi is a little bit more of a playmaker. And I'm not sure that Hepanyemi, even at his ceiling is ever going to be as good as, as Johnny is. Johnny's a pretty special player. Um, but ultimately I think for, for Alexi, his, his NHL ceiling is not going to be as a first-line center. He grew up playing center, even in his WHL days and briefly in Liga, but I think he's going to be a winger at the NHL level. And if he is a winger, I, I don't think first-line winger is out of the question. I think you're more likely looking at a second-line winger who can help out on your power play and run the flank on a top power play unit. And those players, those kind of 50- to 60-point players have tremendous value. Um but I think there is potentially room for him to be more than that. It's just going to have to really fall into place with him. He's one of those players who's not just going to sort of walk into it and, and be given that kind of a role and, and be able to immediately excel. I think he's going to need the right kind of line mates and the right kind of coach who's willing to use him in offensive situations and really give him an opportunity. If he starts on a fourth line and is asked to prove himself and work his way up, I'm just not sure that that's going to be a successful path for him. But I do think if, if he's slotted in immediately once they decide that he's NHL ready, whether that's after starting in Springfield and then working his way into the league or making it out of camp, I, I think if you give him an opportunity with talented players, that he's the kind of player that will make them better and that will benefit from playing in that kind of a role. The Panthers don't need centers at the moment, obviously. I think it's clear enough that that would be the case. But, you know, he could play in the top six. I mean, we've been crying for years. Vincent Trocek needs better wingers. And... Halepuniemi would help him out because Trocek's more of a north-south, very... He sometimes do it all, but he could sometimes use a creative aspect on his wing because they often would put him with shooters like Mike Hoffman or Frank Vetrano, and that just doesn't really complement his game all that well. But I think, you know, I, I think about Joel Quenville. I'm going to try not to make a Bob Bugner joke here. And I think Quenville would appreciate that kind of player. I, I try to go back into my memory to think of, like, the kind of players that he had in Chicago, and I think that it could work. I think he will give young players a chance, and obviously this team's still filled with pretty good amounts of young ones. I think he could work in, in that context. If he was playing with, say, Henrik Borgstrom, I think it would be better than a lot of linemates he played with last year. Uh, what do you think about that with, with Joel Quenville? I think he would appreciate a skill set like that, certainly more than recent Panthers coaches would have done. Yeah, Joel has always kind of shown that, I think. He's shown that when he's coached internationally. He certainly showed that with his use of Patrick Kane very early on in Kane's career. Obviously, Kane was a first overall pick, so it's a different ballgame. Um, but there were a number of players who kind of came through the ranks there who were different and who they were okay with. And um, they've drafted like that as well in recent memory in, in Chicago in terms of going out and, and taking a player like an Adam Boquist, who is a, a, another player who I've highlighted in this series as last year as, as a very unique defenseman and a very rare kind of defenseman. So I, I do think there is room for that to work for him. Situation. Uh, the challenge for him, I think, is going to be that there's also, there's depth coming within the organization in terms of, wingers and they're also players that i think that joel will probably take a shine to i think they're going to really like a, a player like saran noel there obviously owen Tippett's around the corner so it could get pretty crowded pretty quickly the difference though is is that because of the cap and we're, we figure it's not going up a lot next year probably dad and and um mike hoffman are gone 
And then when the cap mm -hmm. explodes, that means Barkov and Trocek and Ubrado have to get paid, and those are the most important things. I mean, can, we, can I say one thing quickly about Barkov, and I don't want to spend too much time with this because we have a time crunch, but when everybody says Nathan McKinnon's on one of the best contracts in the league, you got to say Barkov's on one of the best contracts in the league, too. Because 5.9 yeah. for, for him is just insane. Oh, I, there's I, no question. It's I, one of the best contracts in the history of the league. It is, it is one of the most amazing things, I see. Because when the Panthers are bad, you watch them for Barkov and Uberto, and they were amazing. And that's why I say when, when the Panthers pick somebody from Finland, it means Jari Kekalainen had his fingerprints on it, and more often than not, he's right. And the more I mention him on this podcast, the more I hope people are not listening to it, because then they hire him, and that's my great fear about the Panthers is they lose him. Anyway, uh, Hepboniemi is amazing. Tommy, by the way, had him as second as on his Panthers prospect rankings. Number one is Gregory Dennis. I want to talk about some other prospects with you very briefly. And Owen Tippett, you mentioned, 10th overall pick in 2017. He played a little bit at first season, but he played with Michael Hale. Everyone knew that was going to fail. And he's had some up and down times in junior. I, I've tried to get like a good sense of where he is. He didn't have a great camp last year, went pretty immediately back to junior. I've been thinking he's going to make the team this year, but the Panthers signed Brett Connolly, who's kind of a lot like him. And they have Frank Petrano, who's I know is kind of a lot like him. So what about Owen Tippett now? Because we expect him to succeed or get to the NHL at some point. I don't know what his ceiling is. He's an enigma of a player because, you said, he shoots the puck so incredibly well. But a lot of the things we heard from the Panthers was defense and improving on his defense. Now there's a new coaching staff in there who might not see Tippett in the same way the old one did. What is Owen Tippett's ceiling now? Because there are some other players from that 2017 draft that have really hit the ground running, others that haven't. Where does Tippett fall in? Oh, I, I have, uh, I'm probably not going to make a fan of myself on the on a show with this kind of an audience. Don't, don't but worry, I've don't worry, you don't have to you don't have to worry about those <laughs> fans. We've said a number of bad things about the Panthers. It's okay. I've never been a, a huge Owen Tippett fan. He was always one of those kids who, when I watched him play, I said, sure, his release is world-class and he's a good skater and he's physical, but he lacks a lot of the other skills that I think are, are needed in a modern scorer to, to really a, ascend to a first, even second-line sort of contributing level. Um, the, the big thing with me has always been that he, he's not a great playmaker. He doesn't get his line mates involved all that much. He's a very much a straight line player. He lacks creativity. Uh, and ultimately, I think that because of that, he's going to need excellent playmaking line mates to get him the puck. And he's going to be, need to play on the power play. And if he doesn't get those things, he may end up being one of those guys who just feels like he has to use his skating and his strength, because he is a really built kid, to run around the ice and hit everyone and be kind of a, a pesky sort of not not agitator because that's not in him he doesn't take a lot of penalties he doesn't get involved in things after the whistle he's never going to fight anyone but he he is a physical player and uh, because he's a good skater i think that may pigeonhole him as kind of a checker if he if he doesn't really get power play time and doesn't play with someone like uh, a Denisenko or a Hepanyemi or uh, a Huberto, someone who can get him the puck and offer a little bit more creativity. So it, it's going to be tough for him. I, I, I don't think he's going to be the player that the Panthers thought he was going to be when they took him 10th overall. That isn't to say that he doesn't become a contributor um, at the sort of NHL level. I think there's a chance he becomes a decent middle six forward. I just don't see him as being a, a really impact guy. And obviously when you take a player 10th overall, that's what you're hoping for. It's happened with the Panthers that they've taken players at that position and they don't work out. Lawson Krause. <laughs> yeah. I was in the, I was in the, I was in the rink for that one. And 
the story goes that they would have taken any of the players taken ahead of them other than Lawson Kraus. But we mm. told that story on the podcast. That's another one of our standbys. Uh, but he could, I think he'd probably slot in, in the third line role with Henrik Borgstrom probably to start. Because I, I would assume Borgstrom starts at, at 3C. That might work because I think Borgstrom is a much more creative player than he showed. The last coaching staff used him terribly. I think Joel Quenville will appreciate his skill set a little bit more. We'll see whether he ends up having to play in Springfield. I think the problem is with, of course, you have to be 20 to play in the AHL if you come from Canadian Junior. I think that hurt him. I think he probably would have been okay if he played in Springfield a little bit, even though we've also criticized their development model down there. Uh, yeah. Tommy's number one prospect is Grigory Denisenko. Uh, he was telegraphed to the Panthers last year, and we if you go back and listen to our old shows, you can find that out. He kind of looks to me like an Evgeny Dadunov replacement because, again, Dadunov will be gone in a cap crunch. Uh, he's an interesting player, too, and he's a player that the Panthers seemingly like a lot, this new group that they have at the draft. Uh, as you said, Tommy thinks he's the number one prospect in the Panthers organization. He's a player that we really like. Uh, what do you think about him? Because, again, he plays in Russia, so we see him even less. But there's a lot of potential with him, and if he could turn into somebody like Evgeny Dadunov, no one's going to complain because Dadunov's been a great find the last couple of years. Yeah, and he was one of the players who I got asked about a lot when I released my top, annual Top 50 Drafted Prospects ranking a, a few weeks ago now, uh, just because he didn't make the list, and, and Hepanyami did. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I have mixed emotions on on Grigori. He is undoubtedly... I mean, there's and there's absolutely no way to, to view him otherwise, but he's undoubtedly extremely talented. He has a ton of puck skill. Um, he can finish. He's got a great shot. When he does pass, he he's a creative passer who can sort of hit players in tough spots. Um, there's a lot to like there. My problem with him is that he just doesn't do it consistently. He doesn't sort of take over a game. It comes and goes in spurts. It's one of those sort of players where you watch him play and you think, oh, this kid has such a chance to be a special player. And then you watch him play and play and play. And there are times when you really can see that. And there are many other times where you come away from a viewing thinking, I wanted to see a lot more out of Denisenko and, and he was uninspiring. And that is something that Joel Quenville will hate. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in there because I would imagine that they're going – when he decides to sort of come over full time, which won't be this year. Um, but when he does make that decision, I imagine they're going to want to start him in the AHL and that, and that if he doesn't prove himself there, then suddenly you're in a tough spot where you've got a kid who um, is getting older and, and has shown that he can be a dominant player uh, at various levels, but, but hasn't really grabbed hold of, of taking that next step. So it will be interesting to see what happens. He's a very much a boomer bust player for me. I think if he does make it, it will be because he has put all those pieces together. And that probably means that he's a good second line forward. And I think if he doesn't make it, he, he he's going to be one of those kids who you look back on and say, this was a, this was a big mistake. We should have taken somebody else. We should have taken, whoever it is, whether it was Rasmus Kupari or Ty Smith or Condre Miller, Dominic Bach, some of those players that were taken in the sort of 10 picks after him in that, in that 2018 draft. I think what's interesting about, maybe it's because you don't want to play in Springfield, Massachusetts. I can understand that. A lot of European players don't want to play there. That's understandable. I, I think, though, that when you play, and maybe, maybe we couch it in that, okay, there's a lot of Russians in the room, and that might help. And that's always been a thing that the Panthers have had is that, whether it be Finns or especially Russians, there's just always a comfort level. So maybe that helps 
when you move to another country and you're in an environment when you know there are people there who can help you out, particularly a, a guy like Barkov who could definitely do that. I don't know. I always thought that that may help for, for that, that Panthers dressing room just to get a guy to get there. We'll see. Hmm. Uh, and now we have to get to 2019. We already spent a podcast talking about uh, Spencer Knight, and you had some interesting thoughts on that. Well, I did too. And, I mean, my thoughts on it really haven't changed, but because it's so rare, we didn't see a draft, a goalie draft in the lottery in nine years, and that was Jack Campbell, and he's only started to get good now. So it was so fascinating, and then you knew the Panthers were going to sign Bobrovsky, and they did. So, And then we'll get into a little bit of the 2019 draft. So what do you think about this night pick? Because we were all hoping D, 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 D. Panthers desperately need defensemen. They took them later, just not in the first round, because apparently they wanted Soderstrom and the Coyotes jumped them for it. Uh, so, Knight, he's going to play in the World Juniors. He's proven that he's pretty dang good. But just, do you take a goalie now that high in the draft? How do you put all of the pieces together with what they did? Because it still surprised me that they did it. Well, I'll say this. My sort of status quo on goalies in the first round has always been that unless this goalie is unquestionably going to be a star or starting goalie, unless they have such a body of work of success at a level that is so high and so hard to attain at that at that age when goalies tend to be really inconsistent, unless they have that, my opinion is that they shouldn't go in the first round. And with Knight, I, I did not see him as that stratosphere of a goalie. I didn't see him as a Carter Hart at the same age. I didn't see him as an Andre Vasilevsky at the same age. Uh, and those goalies only come around every five to ten years. Obviously, the the Panthers are banking on the fact that he is that, that he will be that level of a prospect. Uh, I'll be interested to see how he does in, in college this year and how he continues to progress because uh, he isn't that for me. There's a goalie in this in the 2020 draft named Yaroslav Askarov who is, and I think Askarov lives in a completely different stratosphere in terms of talent and upside than Spencer Knight does. None of this is to say that it, Knight won't be a starting goalie. I think there's a good chance that he does become one. He was my top-ranked goalie in the draft. I just thought that he was an early second-rounder rather than what he ended up being, which was an early first-rounder. And I was of the opinion, especially when teams did sort of reach for, for a number of defensemen in the 2019 draft, and by that I mean uh, just the, the the 3D, really, other than Bowen Byram, that were taken ahead of Spencer Knight. I thought that Victor Soderstrom was a, was a reach at 12 or whatever it was. It might have been 11. It was 11. I, I thought that, difference as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah. I thought that Philip Broberg was a reach at number eight. I definitely thought Moritz Sider was a reach at number six. And I had believed all along that this was going to be a draft because teams always reach on defensemen. Uh, and there weren't a ton of strong defensemen in this draft, that this was going to be a draft where good forwards fell. And ultimately, I think that's exactly what happened. Um, and, and I just don't have the certainty that Spencer Knight is going to be a starting goalie in the way that I do have the certainty that I, or at least I think I have the certainty that Alex Newhook is going to be a top six forward or Cole Caulfield is going to be a 30 or 40 goal scorer or Cam York is going to be maybe not a number one defenseman, but probably a very good number two defenseman. And if the Panthers need defensemen and all those guys were picked, I would ask myself why you don't take Cam York, who I think is a better player than both Soderstrom and Broberg and Sider. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's a fine pick. It, you, goalies are kind of exist in this weird world where if you need one, it's kind of worth it to always take a goalie. 
uh, especially of the quality of Spencer Knight. I just don't think that Knight is a superstar level goalie prospect. And I think if you're going to take one of those guys in the first round that you should reserve doing it for that, because there were other good goalies in this draft that the Panthers could have got in rounds two, three, four or five. That's what we were talking about on the show. Although I would love to hear you and, uh, Tommy go over a Cam York discussion because he really didn't like him, but it, it's different strokes for different folks. And, and Tommy's draft analysis is, is um, Euro biased, I will say. And he's great, <laughs> but he's a, he's a Euro snob. That's a soccer term that I like to use when I talk about his drafting because he always favors European and he had a bit of a heart attack with Panthers didn't take any. What did you think of the 2019 draft overall? Because it's kind of weird the way that it, it went up and down and they have a process that they like and we haven't been like yelling and screaming at it like we used to. Uh, but it was a, it was an odd draft. Uh, where where did you stand on that? Specifically for the Panthers or the draft yeah, as a the, whole? Yeah, the, the, the draft itself was odd, but for the Panthers for this purposes, because just okay. the way that it went overall, they then took D, but they were kind of off the board D, you know, not quite, you know what I mean? Like, yep. general consensus. Like, if you're reading about the draft, as I do, and I look at Tommy's rankings, which he puts a lot of effort in. The D that they took, where they took them, were lower, or in some cases, who the hell's that guy? Uh, which which has happened often with the Panthers. But what did you think of this draft overall for them? I didn't love it. Um, my favorite pick of theirs was probably the Coliatronic pick. Uh, he is he's fantastic, and to get him in the back half of the second round, I think is is a strong outcome. I think it's a respectable pick. Um, he had a this brilliant second half where he kind of exploded onto the scene for me. I was a little low on him early in the year, and then he really sort of grabbed hold of it and proved that he was one of the better defensemen in junior hockey. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I liked that pick. That Flint team is horrible, and he was kind of a, a, a bright, shining light. He was obviously great at U18s for Bill Roos, so... Uh, I think that could end up being a pick. He's not going to be a top-pairing guy by any means, but I think you could easily see him as a, a sort of number four or a number five in a few years, and to get that in the second round is a good outcome. After that, I, I felt like they missed the mark on a couple of players. Players like Greg Morellis and Owen Lindmark are fine picks in this sort of really late rounds, but there, it was those those mid-level picks that I was a little bit surprised like by, so... Uh, by that, I mean the John Ludwig pick and, and Cole Schwint and Carter Berger. Those are three players in particular that I, I kind of scratched my head about just because there was a lot of talent still left in that third and fourth round when they picked those three guys. And I just think that they weren't the best players available. You and most Panthers fans agreed. If I looked on Twitter on that Saturday and saw who the Panthers were picking, and a lot of the people asking were questions like, who? Uh, anyway... Uh, if, if you had to go for your Panthers, the just top prospects, I would assume for you Hepponyemi would be number one, based on everything you said. He would. I'm going to be assuming Hepponyemi would be number one. Who would be two? Because Tommy had Denisenko one and then Hepponyemi two. Uh, but how would it go for you behind, obviously, Hepponyemi there? It would be close. I would have to give it more thought than I have. There were only two other players that I considered from their prospect pool for my top 50 um, and, and that was Saran Noel and, and Denisenko. Um, I really do think Saran Noel is going to be an NHL player. I think there are very little things holding him back. Once he gets even more stronger than he already has begun to get and sort of looks a, a little bit less like Bambi out there, that he's going to be a lot to handle. You just never find guys who are six foot five plus and are also the best skaters on the ice and can also finish. So 
Um, I, I think Saran's going to be a great player. So it would probably be some combination of Saran and Grigori 2-3. Spencer Knight would probably be 4. Um, and then after that, it would get interesting. I would imagine that Owen Tippett isn't isn't far behind number 4. Um, but that, that would definitely be my top 4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tippett, I think for him, is 3... Knights four, Noel is five. It's 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 an order. Tommy posted somewhere. I can't even remember where it is. And overall, in terms of their prospect pool, uh, obviously I've been reading the prospect rankings by Corey Promen, and it's probably in the middle, which is not terrible for a team that's been drafting in the back end of the lottery and hasn't had a ton of picks. So I, I think overall, what would they be like, eighteenth, nineteenth, something like that? Maybe a little higher. Yeah, I don't want to spoil any of any of Corey's sort of luster here, but they'll be in the middle of the pack. That's that's fine. Again, it used to be. He likes draft. Denisenko a lot more than I do, though. So oh, Tommy likes that. Denisenko a lot more than you do, but that's okay. But again, he's from yeah. Russia. He's not American or Canadian. It's, it's all right. Uh, and for overall, for you, in terms of prospect coverage, and I'll get at uh, here on this. Wh- what's next for this? Because obviously, we're covering it a lot more than we used to, and we're seeing just so much more interested. What's the next step in prospect evaluation, prospect coverage? Because there's a lot of people who are coming at it from new, unique angles. Obviously, the Panthers hired people who come at the prospect uh, realm from new and unique angles, and they still work for them in case people didn't know that. If you're not listening to this show, if you're listening to the show and you're not a Panthers fan, you didn't know that. Yes, they still work for the Panthers. Uh, Where do you think prospect coverage and prospect evaluation goes from here? Well, it's a great question. I think there are two things that need to happen. The first is that in order to take it to the next level in terms of actually being certain about some of our projections and some of the things with we, that we see with our eyes, we need better data. And some leagues already give us great data. Liga in particular gives us excellent data on the Finnish players who are able to make it at the pro level when they're young enough. Um, the SHL has great data. Uh, but the, we're missing huge gaps in junior hockey in Canada, in the NCAA in the United States, in the USHL in the United States, and even once they get to the AHL because we don't have, we still don't have time on ice data for those leagues. And I think time on ice would be critical in reaffirming some of the things we see because it would tell us how a player is getting used. It would tell us the context of that usage. Uh, it, it, we often talk and we often see player people and, and prospect writers in particular, uh, talk about the role a player is playing. And this kid was getting over 30 minutes a night. And then that you talk to the coaches, and that's just not the case. And and their usage isn't always what you think their usage is. So I think that's a that is a big required next step if we want to take the data to the next level. And then other than that, I've always believed in terms of the thing, the, the biases that we inherit and the things that we see when we're watching a player that we need to do a better job. And I try to explain this to people all the time when I explain to them how I view these players and the the process I go through in evaluating them. But we as evaluators need to do a better job bridging the gap between what we see and what we want our readers to learn about what we see. Because our readers, in many cases, have never seen these kids play. um, And the, the language that we use is often so vague that we're not actually teaching them anything. We're not actually giving them a proper picture of what that player looks like. And by that, I mean, there are words like hockey IQ and heart and compete and soft. These words, these words that yes, exactly. Hockey IQ in particular is just, 
a backwards way of someone saying, I don't know how to put into words and put into descriptors what this player does that's good, so I'm just going to say that he has good hockey IQ and hope that you believe me. And it doesn't actually tell us anything. So we need to be more clear in our descriptors and we need to to be more nuanced. And I think ultimately that's what I'm trying to do at The Athletic is just be – just break everything down. Tell your readers things that you you may assume they know. Just tell them, tell it to them anyways, and be as descriptive as you possibly can, so that we all come at at these players viewing them the same way, rather than interpreting different things out of what we're being told about them. Or using vagaries. Uh, I'll send you Tommy's thing from from June. I think you'll you might enjoy that. One final final question, and then I'll let you get out of here. Thank you, Scott, for your time. Very great listen, of course. Twenty uh, twenty. As a Panthers fan, I'm always conditioned to think about the draft, even though they might actually make the playoffs this year, which would be, you know, the sixth time in 26 years or something like that. Uh, it seems like an interesting draft. You've heard some names. Lafreniere is one. Uh, it seems like there's not a standout guy, but it seems like this could be a pretty deep draft. Uh, what are your very, very early thoughts on 2020? It is a deep draft, and I, I don't know when this will be. At, this episode will be out, but on Monday I will have my first top 31 for this draft so my, my rankings are released in four installments at 31 before the season at 62 in november and another top 62 in february as kind of a mid-season list and then the final top 100 in may and so i've begun to do a lot of research over the last little while i was in plymouth for the world junior summer showcase to see uh players like schneider and justin Barron and holtz and raymond uh sort of get their toes wet at the under 20 level even though they're still 17 years old um and my opinion of this draft is that it's really strong. It doesn't have a uh, Connor McDavid or a Sidney Crosby, but you don't need that for a, a draft to be strong. It, it may not be as strong as, as 2015 was when we had Rantanen and Marner. And um, you, you go down the list, obviously we had um, and McDavid and, and Barzell and Jack Eichel and Rantanen, uh, a number of defensemen, Charlie McAvoy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the the big thing for me with this draft is that it it runs for me and this will be in my list it runs 15 players deep. So for that for me to be really really excited about 15 players as potential star power players is very rare. I thought that last year's draft was a deeper draft than than we've been accustomed to in the previous years 2016 and 2017 in particular were really weak so 2019 to have a draft that i felt ran 12 players deep with potential all-stars um is is pretty impressive and i see 15 players in this draft so that that speaks to the sheer depth of the draft there are going to be players in that group of 14 or 15 and and there are a couple of players in that group who could slip or a couple more who could join it over the course of the year but i'm pretty confident that at least 10 of 10 or 11 of them are going to be excellent excellent prospects that are going to go in the first half of the first round but um the other players if if one of those guys slips and and that happens every season as teams get honed in on a position or a certain player uh you you could have some stars in this sort of 20s uh, and into the early 30s in this draft a year from now. And, and that's really exciting for me from an evaluation perspective because it, it's trying to identify who those guys are in a class that is so deep and a class that also has a goalie who's going to feature in that top 15 all year long, which is very rare. Yeah, that's very rare. And I keep thinking about the 2015 draft and how sad it was. The party night before was a lot better than the draft that night itself. Hey, why? <laughs> 
Wild stories of me and Tommy in Fort Lauderdale and a lot of other friends. That was the Merrick versus Wyszynski draft party. That was fun, and now you look back on the night itself and you go, oh, that was unfortunate. Scott, thank you so much. Uh, pimp out your stuff. You don't really need to, because I think most people already read your stuff, but pimp it out so people, if they don't, can read it. Yeah, everything that I do is at The Athletic. We, The goal of what I'm trying to do is to give you prospect coverage that you can't find anywhere else, something that's different, something that gives you more nuance than you're used to, and something that hopefully uh, teaches you something and, and teaches me something along the way as I continue to, to try and improve my process and, and make the work that I do better. So if you're interested, the, the annual subscription cost is very low. Uh, and I think if you give it, if you take that leap of faith that you won't be disappointed. If you're really nice to Tommy, if you're really nice, and you say Mackenzie Weger's better than Mark Pesek, he might lend you the Y Hockey subscription for a day. <laughs> yep, that will probably happen. We love Mackenzie Weger on the show, and Tommy has an allergic reaction anytime you say the word Mark Pesek. That's another <laughs> one of our running jokes. That was the seventh round 2013 pick that we talked about. And, and yeah. It, I don't want to go into that too much because I already wrote about it, but and you also have to leave. But yeah, that's a, that's another one of our funny Y hockey things. Thank you so much, Scott. We appreciate all of your knowledge, and you're making all of us smarter. And soon we actually talk about the season on Y hockey. Yes. Tune for that. Very excited to talk about actual hockey and maybe the Panthers making the playoffs. That's fun. <laughs>